0: systems, routines, rituals and religions we follow or subscribe to. Something which is independent of all these things, yet something which is universally present in each one of us. So if I were to ask a simple question, you know, what, what is universal about us? We all harp on the differences. Can we say something which is there in us which is not there in others? Let's start it this way. Is there something within any one of us which is not there in others? Any movement of nature. Let's take a few things. Desire. Is there anyone who doesn't have desire? Is there anyone who doesn't have anger? Is there anyone who has never experienced fear? Is there anyone who doesn't have hope? Is there anyone who doesn't think? Is there anyone who doesn't feel? You see, all nature is universal. It's just that we believe, we hold on to some part and we think this is me. And we begin to put everything else as if in opposition to it. But actually, all movements of nature is universal. Like, you know, you go to the sea and you pitch your tent at one spot and you say, this is my sea. You go to another spot and you say, this is my sea. But essentially the sea is a vast movement of, of water. Right? So this is the first truth. But this is not what we are going to speak about. This is just a little glimpse into the universality in which we should live, which is our reality, which is the fact of our existence. There is nothing that any of us experiences which others do not experience or have not experienced, at the same time there is something within us in our own depths which is like a beautiful little gem and again it is universal. So let me ask a few questions, if we were given a choice, supposing we we held a statistical study all over the world and through all ages irrespective of education, gender, caste, creed, colour, race, religion, anything. Beliefs and non-beliefs and we asked a few questions. You tell me what the answers are likely to be. Supposing we ask the question, would you like peace or agitation? Would anyone differ in the answer? We know the answers, so I am not going to ask people to raise hands. If the question was, what would you prefer, love or hatred? <coughs> What would you prefer, happiness or unhappiness? What would you prefer, knowledge or ignorance? It's strange, would the answers be different? Anyone who feels that cutting across boundaries of all kinds, the answers are likely to be different? Supposing we ask, would you prefer beauty or ugliness? The problem is, or the paradox of life is, though the answers will be universal that we all want happiness, we all want truth, we all want light, we all want freedom, freedom or bondage, we all want love, we all want harmony, yet the paradox of life is all our actions or most of our actions are contrary to it. Isn't it a strange paradox? Even the avowed terrorist If you ask him do you want love or hatred You will say love You want peace or agitation Peace That's why I am agitating No It's strange That there is within us Universal seeking And it's not only in today's times You go back 10,000 years Since the time humanity Came into existence Maybe you go 10,000 years ahead cut across all boundaries of nationality, differences of education, educated, uneducated, all these artificial things that we develop, hellos around our heads, yet deep inside there is something in us universally true, which universally seeks for beauty, for goodness, for truth, for light, for ananda. ...and which knows itself immortal. If I were to ask this as a mental question, are we immortal, people will laugh. But we do live every moment of our life as if I was immortal. Isn't it a strange paradox? That's why we we do anything that we do. Supposing we were to die the next moment, probably we won't do many of the things that we do. Something in us makes us forget death. There is a little story in the Mahabharata... When Yudhishthira is asked a question, what is the most surprising thing? What surprises you most? He says, I see, I mean, all of us see death all the time, and yet we all believe that we are immortal. And it's true in a sense that something in us believes, till the last moments of death, maybe I'll survive, because something in us knows itself to be immortal. Something in us seeks to be immortal. It's a interesting paradox we live in. And when we speak about psychic education and spiritual education, it's a journey to resolve this paradox of life. Someone has very beautifully said, you know, we live in age when there are taller buildings and shorter tempers. We have Greater salaries, but lesser generosity. Our pockets are full and our hearts are empty. We read a lot of books, but think very little. Reflect very little. Know very little. We can write volumes on love, but we don't know how to love. We seek happiness, but we are more and more stressed psychic and spiritual education is to bring out that part in us in all of us it's not a question of as I said belief or non-belief when we talk about things like soul and spirit please let us be very clear it's the most secular thing that ever exists in human beings even the avowed secularists fight over their intellectual beliefs and opinions But the soul in everyone has only one agenda and that agenda is to seek the true, seek the good, seek the beautiful, seek that which will give it lasting peace and unconditional bliss. It naturally seeks. The problem is that it is covered deep within us, there is a little story of a man was walking on the road and he found something like a lump of clay but he felt in this lump of clay it was as if shining so he took it home washed it cleaned it and he found a little piece of stone which was slightly shining and he said oh nice I should use it somehow it's a nice thing I found it on the road so he started using it as a paperweight One day a man walked into his office and saw this paperweight and he said, how much will you give it to me for? I found it on the road. You may just take it. Give me whatever you want, you feel like. So he handed over some money and took that stone. Took it to a jeweler who could polish and shape it. And when he polished and shaped it, it was a sparkling diamond. That is the kind of gem that lies covered within dust of a nature and psychic education is about first recognizing that within this dust and coal and heaps and heaps of smoke gathered through the centuries there is a little ray of light that still shines through this crust and we all experience it in some rare moments. When we are face to face with something that is symbolically representative or that which reflects that beauty, that goodness, that truth, that light which we seek, automatically a little something shines through the crust for a moment and then we cover it again with dust. That's the tragedy of life. If there is any tragedy of life, it is this to have died without realizing our own soul because then we die but having found that we do not die it's, you know the story of Oedipus Rex when he's a Greek hero and he has to cross a desert to reclaim his kingdom the Thebian desert and on the desert sits his sphinx The Sphinx is a strange creature, (coughs) it has the body of a lion, the face of a woman and the wings of a bird, does such a creature exist, that's right, so this is the symbol of the story, it's a creature which exists and doesn't exist, so everybody crosses the desert and this strange creature Sphinx asks a question, the question is, before it asks the question it gives a kind of a Uh, You know, it says that, look, if you answer the question, I'll let you pass. If you don't, I will spring upon you and kill you, devour you. So, uh, most people hesitate and turn away. Oedipus is confronted by this creature. So Oedipus says, okay, I'll answer the question. The question is, who is it who walks on four legs in the morning, on two in the afternoon and three legs in the evening? Oedipus says, I am the answer. As a kid, I walk on four. As a young man, I walk on two. And as an old, I walk on three. There's a stick in my hand. Nowadays, of course, there are sticks with four things. But this belongs to that age well. So the Sphinx, as the story goes, jumps into the fire and kills itself. And Oedipus can pass. The story is very symbolic. Sphinx is symbol of death which is real and unreal and it asks this question to us are you, do you know yourself? who is the one who changes appearances from childhood to old age? when you see your, you know we say that this person we identify with the photograph but how is it that when you see your childhood photograph you say yes yes it's me and there is a joy on your face your appearances have changed but there is something in you even though you do not have the memory, something in which connects you to an appearance, to a particular appearance. And you see is yes, this is me. There is a kind of appearance to which we identify. Though that has passed away, memories have gone into the background. Things which you did are merely child's play. But there is a thread of connectivity which runs from childhood till death. And who knows, as the seers saw in their vision and experience, even beyond death. When we have discovered that, which despite the changing appearances, who is common? I am the answer. Then what people say is that appearances change, this creature changes, but I am the same, I am the answer, there are no two or three creatures, it's one creature. So when we know who am I in the true sense of the word, then we are freed from the clutches of death. Does that mean that we continue to exist in the same form? No, form and appearances change. But we know that essence, that substance, which is immortal in us and having known that death becomes a changing of our robes to wait in wedding garments at the Eternals Gate. Lines from Ishwara Death is but a changing of our robes to wait in wedding garments at the Eternals Gate. And that's why it's so important to know this soul. you know we just think okay when we are old then we will think about the soul. When we are old we are not capable of thinking about anything. We we'll think about the lost things, lost bank balance, lost everything. We have no energy even to enjoy life. Forget about search for the soul because search for the soul is a serious issue and its immense importance. Again some lines from Sri There is a poem called A Vision of Science and there he describes. No, we are very scientific minded or we are religious minded etc. etc. But the soul has neither anything to do with science or religion. It's something which transcends both and integrates both. So, in that poem, religion is, religion is passing out of man's life and science is in the forefront. So, while religion is passing out and there is a third spirit. Shabunda speaks of a third spirit which is behind and waiting for its hour to emerge. So while religion is passing out of existence, it knows its hour is over. Most of us are growing up in a very kind of atmosphere where we don't identify ourselves strictly to a particular religious form or practice. So while religion is passing out, it tells science, thou thinkest term and end for thee is not. you think that you don't have any term or end, but though thy pride is great thou hast forgot the sphinx that waits for thee beside the way. All questions thou mayest answer, but one day her question shall await thee. That replied, for they who cannot die, she slays them, and their mangled bodies lie upon the highways of eternity. Therefore, if thou wouldst live, answer first, this one thing who are thou in this dungeon living if one would live see we spend so much energy time, money in so many things things which come and go like the passing breeze but we spend so little to discover that one thing which can save us from everything else And it's very unfortunate that we have to sometimes go through great crisis, personal pain and tragedies of life, to even turn towards this kind of a pursuit. Another story. We have heard about Narada the sage. Narada, before he became a sage, he was a master, triple masters in economics, political science. In fact, in 64 subjects, he had received a master's degree from various institutes, probably equivalent of Harvard and Massachusetts, and of course Delhi University, etc., etc. He was very proud of his degrees. You know, carried them always in his bag, put it on the card. You know, MBBS, MD, triple this, <coughs> this. This member, that member. And as a side story, I am reminded of somebody who went to Anand Ma, this card was sent inside. Now it had so many degrees written on it that the person simply said Mother, somebody has come to meet you who is Vidwan, who is a very learned man. So she had this to reply, Oh, Avidya ke mein ek Vidwan gaya. This whole world in which we live and breathe is full of ignorance. There is somebody learned, I would like to meet him. So all our life we spent, so Narada has also spent time in accumulating all those things. But despite all this, he used to feel a nagging pain inside, like a depression, which we all encounter, um, off and on in life. So he was experiencing that pain, and he was trying to ask people about the remedy. So somebody told him that, look, Narada, your problem is that, you know, you have too many degrees, you have spent all your life only studying. Now you need a good partner. To get married, all your problems will be solved. Narada was a little scientific-minded by then, you know. So he asked me, Achha, tell me, all who are married are happy. This person says, Well, the results may be just the other way around. So Narada says, So why are you suggesting me such solution? So he goes further. Somebody tells him, See, you need a good job. You apply with your biodata data and credentials, you surely get a job abroad in some good company. So Narada again is very statistical-minded, you know, because that's what he has studied all his life. He says, okay, tell me, all those who have good jobs and earning good money are very happy. He says, no, I believe um, stress diseases are increasing very much. It's the number one killer and it's found more commonly in <laughs> metropolis. <laughs> so he says, then why are you suggesting these solutions? So somebody tells him, Narada, all this is, you are suffering from depression. <laughs> you go and see a psychiatrist. Incidentally, I am a psychiatrist by profession. <laughs> so Narada goes to some such fool like me who prescribes him medicines for depression. He says, oh, sir, you are giving me this medicine. My depression will be all right, isn't it? Within two weeks. So it will, I will be cured. He says, no, no, I don't guarantee that. When you stop it, it will come. <laughs> Oh, so what, you take it for life long, you will get rid of your depression and I will get rid of my poverty. <laughs> doctors encourage diseases because it helps them to grow richer. <laughs> they will never tell you that you can cure yourself. Anyways, that's not only doctors, everybody does that. Lawyers encourage disputes. Policemen encourage frights, you know, because it helps. <laughs> Nevertheless, So Narada, you know, is ultimately, totally, he says, nobody can find a solution to my problem. The reason is nobody even understands the problem. So with a heavy heart and wandering here and there, he finally reaches the outskirts of a great ashram of a great sage, Sanat Kumar. And he just happens to enter this place also, let me see what is this place. And casually, by the way, he enters that place. And he is confronted by the sage Sanat Kumar who asks him why do you look so downcast? He says don't you know I am carrying so many degrees in my pocket, takes out, this is my biodata, and I can't even be happy, what's wrong with me? So the sage smiles and asks him you have so many degrees in so many things, have you learned of that knowing which all else is known? Have you found that, have you found which always you are happy and at peace with yourself? Narada scans his mind backward, forward. He says, this subject was not in my CBSE, ISC. Sir, even MA does not offer a degree in this. So Narada says, that's your problem. You stay here and the rest is history. So there is something within us like a little piece of diamond which instinctively, in our, as we said, it's universally there, in our rare moments, moments of crisis, unfortunately. Instinctively, we turn towards that or we get strength, ask of people, you know, they go through so much suffering, but very seldom. If you see, okay, people do commit suicide, but even that is kind of escapade from that till the last minute the dilemma is to be or not to be. So something within us compels us, gives us strength to live gives us joy and hope in spite of the darkest appearances. If that is the effect of this little gem concealed within heaps and heaps of dust and smoke, what will be the effect if we had it right in our hands? What will be the effect if it was easily accessible to us? What will be the effect if we could touch it and feel that moment of glory and identify with it is for us to imagine but one thing is there that having found that never again there will be any cause for any depression never again there will be any cause for any turbulence unease, unease gives rise to disease you will always be in a state of inner happiness inner peace never again you have to necessarily read a book and prepare notes There will be knowledge Some kind of a storehouse of knowledge Essential knowledge Accessible to you at all times You would know how to discriminate Between what is true and what is false With a single glance Never again Will you cease to love Because that knows only one thing To love It cannot hate Even if somebody hates it Its response is love It's, it's built like that The soul is inbuilt in such a way that it can be no other response except love, sweetness, warmth, beauty, ananda. Even if you come a little near its presence in people who are awakened, you will feel that kind of protective warmth. Just to feel, just to breathe that atmosphere. So is it not worth putting all the effort at its discovery? This is the first question we have it's one thing to read books on scientifically soul decides in pineal gland or here and there. Forget about all that. If it was something like a part of the body, it's not worth finding it. It exists in a fourth dimension of aesthetic sense. It exists in another dimension of existence. Today, at least this much we know that our three-dimensional or four-dimensional world is not the only end of the world. Even physics is continuing to speak about it, and I believe the previous planet speaker has spoken a little bit about physics and Vedas, etc. So I will not touch that issue. But it exists, and there are countless seers and sages who have experienced it. We ourselves glimpse it in some rare moments of inner contact. So why not put a little more effort towards discovering it? For once discovered, It becomes a permanent companion for all lives. You don't lose it. That's one thing you carry from life to life, from birth to birth. Because that is the deathless being and it does not die. So what is to be done to discover it? Normally this question should be answered only when the thirst awakens. But since it's a class, we can touch it, a kind of a lecture. (laughs) Why I am saying is because it is a very subtle knowledge. It is not the knowledge which can be or should be attempted to be grasped by our gross mind. Our gross mind is very good at grasping physical objects. See, it is like somebody who has a very gross mind, tell him about love. He will say, oh, all this is nonsense. Do you see love? It is a serotonin imbalance in the brain. But those who experience it know what is love. They don't need anybody's proof. So same way those who have seen and experienced the soul know what is soul. They don't need proof of scientific books. Science for all its discoveries cannot tell us who I am. If you ask science who I am, you say nothing but a protoplasm. Doesn't sound very <laughs> fine to hear, you know. You are a worm who has overgrown into the size of a man. What is the validity of that knowledge is another question. Warm explaining itself. Nevertheless, Mm -hmm. the point is that it's not to be sought by externalizing ourselves into books of that kind. That whether let's see whether a professor in uh, Harvard University has proved there is soul. That exercise is futile. He may end up saying 60% soul exists. 40% 40% it doesn't exist. You will be as confused as before. And after writing books on the soul, he will know nothing, not even a fraction of what the soul is. because he never tried to find it. It's like Sachin Tendulkar giving opinion about films and Shah Rukh Khan giving opinion about religion. People should confine themselves to their own field. Science is its own field and it's wonderful in that field. Excellent in that field. But when it speaks about things like soul and spiritual, it oversteps its limit. Soul and spiritual, they are realities of inner life. For the gross mind, which modern education makes us, very gross minded. That's why, it's not that people are materialistic, it's because the mind has become crude. Right from childhood, you are trained to see only that which is measurable and quantifiable. Isn't it? Everything is number and form. So as a result by the time you pass out, you forget even a thing which is much more commonly experienced, a thing like love, it's something subtle, when you experience peace you are not sure whether it was peace or hallucination, you are not sure of your own experience, this is what happens through modern education, so we have to re-educate ourselves, that's why there is a need for psychic education and that re-education starts with first, recognizing the need of finding the soul that thirst if that thirst is not there no book practice will help it's not like it's not like you know reading a easy to read book how to find the soul step one, step two, step three fine I have done all these now I have not found it it's not at all like that the thirst, the need the first thing is it something really worth our efforts if we can awaken that now, if you don't have it, there are ways to awaken it. There are people whose contacts, there are books whose, whose contact, there are reflections by which you can arrive at some kind of a inner thirst for the soul. There are places where you go and you feel that need, like a fire. You know, if there is a fire, you come in contact with fire and you are lit. So, it's like that. Now, once the flame is lit, once the aspiration is lit that it's worth finding, then the rest becomes like a movement towards it and the more we tend this fire of inner discovery, the more it grows and the more it grows, the more this world begins to appear different, our self begins to appear different. All the values of the world begin to change. In the Gita it is mentioned in a very beautiful way, that which is a night to human beings ordinarily, is a day to the sage who remains awake in that state and that which is a day to ordinary mind of humanity is a night to the sage. All the values of the world are reversed. That in which people feel great pain having discovered the soul will rejoice, not like a madman. When you may be it like a madman, it's different. And that in which people feel very happy The soul feels sometimes a touch of sadness in it because it sees we are moving away from the great universal rhythm of love and beauty and harmony that sustains the world. So this is and many other things, everything changes, the whole perspective changes. So to discover such a thing which is as important as that, first thing is to be armed with all the patience and fortitude and perseverance as one needs to discover. How many years are necessary to complete graduation? Three years. Mm -hmm. What about all the years behind? You can't -hmm. get a Fifteen At least twenty-one years. Fifteen? I mean... You can't straight away get admission. That's a preparatory phase. So almost twenty-one years, right? And what is the end of graduation? One doesn't even get a job. It's a sad irony. And if one has to really like, I have done my MBBS and then MD. By the time I did all this, I was already 26, and I, w- I was just a starter in the field of the field of knowledge which I have chosen. 26 years to get what? Something which has completely changed. Whatever I thought I knew, things have changed. Imagine if you were to put half as many years. Half as much effort, you'll be in for a much greater and lasting discovery. Not 24 years, but 12 years. Not 8 hours a day or 6 hours a day, but just half as much, and you'll see the difference. But it should be a genuine effort, like for anything that we do. So it, again, it's not a discovery like we have 14 days course in Nirvana. Nowadays, it's become fashionable. And there are people who will give you all the experiences of bliss and ananda and kundalini awakening in two days. Naturally, when you shell out ten thousand rupees, you better feel the kundalini. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise you feel cheated. So human mind says, Oh, I had a nice experience. Please. Excuse me, soul is not like that. It requires it's a serious work. It's not it's not something which should be taken in a spirit of Okay, I'm going there and what happened after seven days? I had enlightenment. Served on a platter. Shell out. Two thousand rupees. Carry a badge of enlightenment which you can fix here. Yes. Come back the same old man that you were. That's not the discovery of the soul. It's not done through courses. It's not a camp in meditation. It's a seeking. That seeking is awakened then the soul itself leads, it's not a dead thing that you are seeking and it is hiding inside, it's not an inert object, it's not to be treated like that, it has been said about the divine that if a person moves one step towards the divine, the divine moves thousand steps towards him. And there is a beautiful poem, if some of you may have read, Francis Thomas, he has written a very beautiful poem on the hound of heaven. How? man is pursued by the divine rather than man pursuing the divine so the soul is still something much easily accessible than the divine and it's not an inert something lying I have no interest if somebody comes the moment it sees hears from a great distance the approaching footsteps of nature in which we are trapped it instantly opens its eyes and looks around where is that sound coming from and as it looks it attracts more and more so this is the first thing necessary the will to find it and the patience and perseverance that is required second we can say there is a negative process and a positive process I hate to use the word processes but nevertheless the negative process is that we have to disidentify ourselves with all that we are so accustomed to identify: name education, religion, country, all these things, customs, traditions, rituals, all the externalities of life, all these are not really necessary, they, we, wear them, we wear them like a badge on our, you can approach it through them, you can approach it through the influence of the religion, that's perfectly fine, but don't confuse the soul with that. All these identities, all these external identifications, I belong to this, I am this, I am that, and strong fortresses, they prevent us from finding that which eternally is. We don't know in past lives who were we, whether we belong to this religion or that religion, whether we were born in this country or that country, whether they whom I call as my parents were my sworn enemies or not. Sometimes they say that when, you know, there is a strange karmic law, so as the joke goes, <laughs> that President Bush is very happy that the news comes that Osama is dead. So Bush is very happy and celebrates. Okay? Bush jokes are permitted I hope. No serious objections. Don't record them. You can respond to it. Well. Any XYZ. So then another person comes and gives a good news. Sir, a child has been born in your family. Wonderful, two good news today. Just then Sage Narad, who has the habit of walking unasked, comes and he's so thrilled, he says, doesn't matter, any Indian sage, please bless the child. So he sees, blesses, and comes out. He says, Very nice, but I have a problem. What is the problem? Osama's soul is incarnated here. <laughs> <laughs> so all these attachments, you know, which we have towards this or that identification, it's not about a person or an the point of this story is that we have to disengage I am so and so's son I am so and so's daughter I am so and so's wife I am so and so's husband all these wrong identifications they are okay necessary for a while but we should just get rid of them if we are serious about discovering that which today identifies with this form tomorrow with another moves from one house to another So this is the first thing, this is the negative part of the process, disengaging from all the surface identification and the positive part is to search, to keep that fire alive, to tend it from morning till night. When we wake up, the first thought is not, let me rush to the bathroom, oh my god, it's 7.20 and I have to leave in 15 minutes, what my boss is going to say? Just take a few moments and be focused here. Today is a day, I must find my soul. How beautiful it would be, if every day one did that. If in one's inner diary pages one wrote, Today, I must find my soul. At this, this time, I have an appointment with my own soul. And one moved like that, all through. In every activity of life, when we take a bath, how would my inner being be feeling at this point of time? When I eat, Can it go to help in the emergence of my soul? When I speak, whatever I am speaking, is it going to help in the discovery of the soul or coming in the way? So when we move with that kind of approach and attitude towards life, then we get an assistance. And that assistance comes from our own helps. So this is just a very broad summary of the soul. And the way to find it, there are plenty of material available I will not go more into it, I will just touch a little upon and as we find it, as I have said it has an influence upon the rest of us. When we are in a soul state often we say think positive, do this, do that, you know a lot of books are there but does it ever work out like that, is it so easy, a book says think positive, it's very easy for somebody to say another person think positive, be positive. But does it, is it so easy? It is not so easy. Nature runs in fixed groups. But if you touch a moment of the soul, you have to do nothing as if you have pressed a magic button. And spontaneously the thoughts that come to your mind are as if winged heavenwards. If you touch that core, hatred becomes impossible to you. Lying becomes impossible to you. Slander becomes impossible to you. Something within you stops. You feel that you are defiling your own self. You feel that you are doing something which you ought not to do. Not by way of conscience. Conscience is a mental thing. habituated thoughts, beliefs, ideas. But something which spontaneously tells you. And a little touch of it can set not only our thoughts and emotions. But even our physical disorders right. It gives that spontaneous change. So this is the soul soul is something individual to us within us similarly there is beyond our mind this i'll just touch upon we live as if in a cage and we compare my cage with another person's cage that's why we fight and sometimes even when we are living in the same cage or the house we are looking at the world through different windows and we fight I look at slush outside and it's so painful the other person says I look at the garden outside and so beautiful and they fight with each other inside the house human beings have why? because we are each looking through a little doorway of the mind which has cut, conditioned ourselves to look at life in a certain way but beyond the mind as we ordinarily know there are ranges and ranges of consciousness of light, of beauty of of love, of truth, whose little glimpse can entirely change our actual existence. These ranges are a whole lot of, they have to be explored. It's better not to speak about them. But at least it is enough if we know that the human mind is not the summit of things. And what appears in a saint, sage, seer, or sometimes even in a man of genius, as a rare phenomena and an exceptional thing is actually a general possibility of the whole race. All of us, if we want, can try and get beyond the box of the mind and enter into these vast and luminous fields of vision and thought and creativity and bliss and recreate our life with its touch. Let me close with a small letter of know, A veil behind the heart and a lid above the mind. Conceal from us the Divine. Love, bhakti, devotion tears the veil. Aspiration breaks the lid. So, let love awaken in us. And aspiration flame inside. Thank you. Do you have questions? I don't know. you the last do you A veil behind the heart and a lid above the mind. How uh, my soul is feeling, kind of thing, and uh, taking food, how it is, and uh, similarly, when I'm taking, saying something, it, it is on the way of cutting the way, kind of. Okay. It's like what I'm trying to say is seek it, and to seek it, the best way is not through the mind, but through the heart. It's like when you fall in love. Nobody has to tell you, think about the person whom you love. So the best way is that if somehow we were to fall in love with that deeper self, there are several stories you know, which image this, the story of Narcissus and many others, but I am not getting to that. Essential thing is that if we can fall in love with this deeper quest, then it becomes very natural. Now falling in love is of course not within anybody's hands. So we start with this process. But a time comes when it becomes as natural as thinking about something which we deeply love and cherish. Like mothers love their children. Even when they are far away, you know, there is a kind of a psychological, umbilical cord which is never cut. So it's something like that. You fall in love with one's own deeper self, if you want to put it like that. Or the divine of the best in us, whatever. So that is the best and for that, as I said, reading helps a lot, reading books with inspires inspire us, that is their task, that they inspire us, ignite the fire. Company of those places, persons who are walking on the path, it inspires us. So it can sometimes help light the flame. So all these things help us, but once we fall in love, the rest becomes natural. Then it will be difficult to stop. For most human beings it is necessary. But we must take guru in the widest sense of the word. By guru is means guru means two things, but we'll take in the common sense of the word, I mean the, the generally accepted sense, one who brings light, gives light. Now if we seek the soul, then the guru comes to us and speaks to us in many ways. Like Udhav sought his soul, and he says that I had 24 gurus or, or some number I think it was 24 and among those gurus there was a bee and there was also a, a woman of, of what outwardly we would say of a loose character. So anything can become a means for that inner discovery if we seek. So seeking is important and when we seek the guru will appear in his own way. He may appear in the form of a person He may appear as a divine incarnate, he may appear as a teacher of the past, anything. Or he may appear as the secret inner guide. Or he may reveal himself through many many forms and faces. You are seeking something, has it happened that you have a deep aspiration and suddenly you get across a book and just happen to open it and a sentence changes your life. So who has led you to that? That is the Guru who is leading. So he is the world Guru who is leading all of us. But for human beings, because we are so externalized, sometimes it's, we need an external form and figure because it makes it easier. But, but the problem, the problem is sometimes that well, there are gurus and gurus and there are self-styled gurus, and anybody can become a guru. And guru, gurum and become a profession At yeah, one point, where we need to make a surrender. Where there has to be some, some yeah. something, something. Not necessarily, but something like an image. Yeah. And here we have one yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, like there are plenty of people who you like, you know, Christ or Krishna or Guru Nanak. I mean, so many ways people can do the surrender. Like here we have mother and children. So, whatever way, whatever form represents for you the image divine, Shiva, it doesn't matter, a deity or whomever you feel naturally turned towards who for you represents the divine, then the rest follows. I mean, it's, it, it is something which has to arise from inside and should be a spontaneous need of your being it helps a lot yes it comes by itself you can do something uh, you can be in the company of those who carry the fire you can read books which which have fire embedded inside it there are places where when we go a fire is lit inside so, we can concentrate and it helps the aspiration to grow. We can put all our actions as an offering into the flame and our aspiration grows. So, there are so many ways to tend this fire. But there is a moment when it is lit. That moment it's very difficult to say that whether it's your effort which has done it or the grace of the divine. How <laughs> awaken The most important is, I suppose, for the thirst to awaken. Now, that's when the moment will come, it's very difficult to say. And I do believe uh, what the sages said that it's an act of grace. That a point comes in life when suddenly the seeking awakens. Now, that point is very difficult to for. That. He waited for, huh? wait for that moment. He, it, yes, if we wait, if we, we can prepare ourselves but that preparation should go on if there is even a mental seeking it is a kind of preparation mental seeking, mental seeking helps, huh? yes it helps it's not exactly yeah. aspiration but mental seeking. all these things help so all these are preparations but the time comes when the aspiration awaits then of course everything we do if we do it with that urge to discover every little step it may be the most insignificant step you're brushing your teeth and suddenly that thought goes inside ah how beautiful if I could find my soul then brushing your teeth becomes an act of worship so it's not that to go to a mandir and offer some puja everything can become an act of worship Absolutely, it is a particular moment. The only thing is that behind the moment, there is a whole whole process, whole process which has taken place sometimes consciously, sometimes even subconsciously. There is a very nice, uh, you know, two little anecdotes with regard to this that when Thomas Elway Edition discovered the light bulb, you know, 999 times he tried and failed. And when somebody asked him that you failed 999 times, he said, no, it was a thousand step procedure so you know behind that one moment there is a very beautiful film if you get a chance to watch it uh, ten seconds the movie is about a hundred meter dash of course very interesting that uh, recently you know you must have seen that bolt running like a thunderbolt did you see that Olympics this man who broke all the records now you see it's a moment we observed that moment of victory and a lot of people felt it who was the TV they shared his joy, his joy became a universal joy actually it was something wonderful but if you really go back to get that moment he gave his life for it but it's true that it happens as a flash now when it will happen we don't know equally it is true that those who came second and third also gave their life for it and there is a moment when it happens, it's very true You cannot mechanically do it like it cannot be what he is out is very beautiful it's not that every time I meditate I will contact it. maybe one day you sit for meditation and all the thoughts are running into your mind you are reading a book but mind is wandering everywhere doesn't matter somewhere deep inside that effort has gone and one day quite unexpectedly when you are neither reading a book nor you are meditating you are cycling to a cinema hall and as if like a flash you are in contact so it that's true. But something has gone behind me. I mean, everything that helps to learn to separate from nature, to step back and see how transitory and short-lived are the things that we see, how little the utility in the total vast movement of things and we fret and fume over sweet nothings. Yeah, you can, I mean, that can be one approach. The only thing is that one cannot wait to discover that this is unsatisfactory because sometimes then the journey becomes very long if one has to learn. But most people actually follow that course in reality. That life comes and teaches us that what we were seeking was not really enough to satisfy. But it would be much more beautiful. I mean, that's what education is about, where we don't have to necessarily go through the pain of discovering painfully that well, this cannot satisfy the need, that's true. But some parts need that experience and whether we like it or not, most human beings go through it. I have one more question. So, maybe rather, a first or the aspiration, the flame of the aspirations. But, uh, you know, we are generally painting, art, describing with the Agni. Agni is rather, uh, hot but when we experience it it is cool and uh, you know other what is that um, you mean, mean, mean the psychic flame i don't know mm. but it, it rises from here up to here so is it a or but it is a flame yeah, but it is a cooling and you know pleasuring feelings it is obviously a flame of aspiration but exactly what level it is rising, you know, that I mean, probably will overstep the yeah. audience uh, this thing. But uh, essentially, it's an aspiration rising from below, moving upward, and cleansing. But uh, aspiration and the soul which is still behind that. So, that distinction should be there. Aspiration assists in discovering the soul. Oh, my question is that the flame of aspiration is generally maintained with the or comparison with the other which is hot and when the experience comes it is cold and pleasant